We're glad to have you again for another episode of the podcast, Alma, Am I Racist? You can go to our website, almaamiracist.com to find out more and to listen to more podcasts and also to find out who the wonderful woman Alma was who inspired me to do this. Our guest again today, we're so glad to welcome him back, is Deacon Kenneth Radcliffe. He is a deacon in New York. He's a trained substance abuse addictions counselor. He's a recovery coach. He worked in the criminal justice system as a chaplain for many years. He's the founder of the Isaiah Project and also the Criminal Just Us Committee. Now, if you want to know more, if you want to get a copy of his book, which is what we're going to continue talking about today, you can go to theisaiahproject.name. And the name of the book is Applying Alcoholics Anonymous Principles to the Disease of Racism. So welcome back, Deacon Radcliffe. So glad to have you with us again for another fabulous teaching moments We learned about you in the last episode, or we learned from you in the last episode about the origins of slavery in this country and when it went from being just plain slavery to being basically a narcissistic disease of racism. When the white man began to look at the black man as property, and that was the beginning of the disease of racism. And I think it's absolutely brilliant that you came up with this idea of applying the AA principles, which we know have worked for many people along many different realms. And when I read your book, I realized that it was written more for the people who are recovering from the disease of racism, as opposed to the racist. And I'd I'd like to explore it from both angles. So when we look at Al-Anon, which is based on the 12 steps, it's really for the person who's affected by the disease of alcoholism to realize they didn't cause it, they can't cure it. And what's the third one? Can't control it. Can't Can't control control it. it. Can't control it. Neither can the other person. Right. So if we take the first step, I'm powerless over the disease of racism, and my life has become unmanageable. I would like, if you would, to take that from two angles, to talk about it from the point of view of the racist. So why is the racist not powerless over their racism? And then to take it from the viewpoint of the person who the racism is affecting. First of all, let's talk about one. You, you, let's go back and make a clarification again. Okay. Remember, if we're in the meeting, racism is a disease. I did not cause it. I cannot cure it. I cannot control it. Neither can the other person. Okay? That's that's what we need to understand. I didn't cause it. And that's what a white, as I say, so-called white person can say. I didn't cause it. And many times they say, I didn't cause it, so why am I being punished? No, but you reap the benefits of a system put in place when this country became a constitutional uh, democracy that said that a certain people don't look like you will be counted as three-fifths of a person, less than. And we're using that system that will be politically, 
use for counting the number of seats in the House of Representatives, by the way, is proportioned by population, which became the House of Representatives. And I remember it's called the New York Plan and the New Jersey Plan. The New York Plan was no matter what the population of the state, there will only be two senators, senators, two. That's why Rhode Island still has two senators. So in the same as California, two senators. In other words, my ancestors were part of that system. We were reduced to property, to chattel. We had no rights. We were dehumanized. Our labor was exploited to build a capitalist economic system. And you know, when I say capitalists, we're talking about capital. What is capital? Goods and services, right? Goods right. and services. There's a demand and you satisfy the demand. All right, so let's double back a little bit in the history. Remember I said about the origins of slavery. Remember we said, no, I crossed that out. I said the origins of racism and how it began. It began in the United States and became institutionalized. Our people were robbed of their rights. That's number one. They were robbed of their labor. Let's do a brief, a little brief history. You remember Marco Polo? Remember this guy was in China? And he came back with, with sugar and cinnamon and spices and colors and all that from the East to China. Okay. Something that Europe had not ever tasted before. Sweets, sugar. So that began markets for when, at the beginning of the 1492, America, uh, Columbus goes into the Americas and Portugal starts the process, Spain follows up. And eventually the source of that was sugar, was a commodity in right. Europe, and it became a commodity. So you had the beginning of the sugar, and from the sugar, again, came rum, alcohol. You remember the Golden Triangle? Sugar, rum, and slaves? And you remember that? Nicotine, yes. It, all right, now we're getting yeah. there, right. So okay. in other words, uh, you had what? You had the sugar, rum, tobacco, and what was the other? Coffee and tea. These were harvested on the plantations of the Americas. So when we talk about alcohol, rum, alcohol, tobacco, nicotine, coffee, tea, caffeine, substances, they became in much demand in Europe and thus began your commodities market. That's what this whole system is built on, the commodities market. And the other commodity was us, black and all Exactly. And you needed labor to harvest those. So it came about as a result of what? European and American demand of substances, yeah. nicotine, tea, sugar. Yeah. That's how we can look at it. Right. Caffeine. So drugs. My coffee. So it was supply and demand. But then again, cotton came later. Then you had the plantations in the South. At mm -hmm. one point before the Civil War, Two-thirds of the cotton was being produced by the South. Two-thirds of the world's cotton. Two-thirds. So I can never look at little women, and the women wearing all these gingham dresses and all of those, you know, even the Rothschilds wearing these and looking at all those cotton. And I can't look at that at, at, at different without being traumatized. Right. Where did that come from? So, so this slavery, this was built on a commodities market. So you got, by the time the, the Philadelphia Con Convention came into being in 1787, this, this commodities market 
what do you have? Shipping, you had to insure it, you had to have labor, and once you had to have investors. Then we talk about Wall Street. So all of this was built on the backs of people counted because the people who were dominating felt it was their divine right because they had the blessing of the religious leaders. Okay, now go ahead. You want to ask more questions? Well, no, I was just going to say, and I think this goes to the whether we think of ourselves as racist or not, we have benefited tremendously from these systems. And white exactly. people need to wake up and look at that. We benefited. My father came from absolutely nothing during the Depression. He was the first of seven children to graduate from college. He went on to become an attorney, to make a lot of money, to have like a little kingdom. But the difference is my father was white. He got in trouble as a teenager and was sent to military school. If he had been a black man, he wouldn't have had that benefit. He got that benefit of the doubt. He might've been dead. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. I, I, you know, it's like, oh, I worked hard for my money and I've come from nothing. And, but I had to sit back and look at, okay, but my father was a white man. That is the difference. And that yeah, is and how he, I benefited. And because of his work and what he did, I benefited. I inherited property. So I, for, for white people to say, I, I benefited nothing. I mean, I live in Atlanta. This whole town, this whole country, this whole Southern, it was built on the blacks, backs of black people. And I don't understand why that is so hard to own. Well, any more than you cannot understand why the alcoholic doesn't change his behavior. Not enough pain. Let me say that again. Why does the alcoholic? All the more reasons why the victims, yes, you said your life has been affected. Did your, did you, uh, did your actions have any effect on the people who were alcoholic in your life? Did they? I'm a child of alcoholics. You don't have to. No, I'm a child of alcoholics. Okay. And I'm also a recovering alcoholic. So... When okay. I first quit drinking, I said, oh, I'm so glad I quit drinking before I hurt anybody. Um, I was not looking at myself. My actions and behavior hurt a lot of people, a lot of people. But okay. I, didn't know, I didn't know that at first. So, okay, so you came to a realization. I, yes, I woke up out of denial. Okay. So, so how can you say you don't understand how white people, there's some white people have not began to think like you? I know. Well, I know it's, it's silly because they. No, they wait have... a minute. Let's no, no, don't. I'm not going to let you get off that easy. <laughs> okay. All right. How can you, did you have any power over the alcoholic in your life? No. Did you? No. Did you make that alcoholic stop? No, huh? I could not. I tried, could not okay. do it. Ex no matter what you did, right? No. But who had to change? The alcoholic. No. Who had to, who really changed? Oh, you mean, oh, I had to realize I can't change it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. Who had to change? I did. Yeah. You began to change, but it had no effect on the alcoholic, did it? No. Okay. No. So that's the first step. 
admitted I am powerless over alcoholic, admitted I am powerless over racism. That's okay. what the so-called white person has to begin to do, has to admit, all right, I didn't cause it, can't cure it, can't control it, and neither can they. You are in a system. Okay. That's not going, that will not change. So it means who has to change? The individual. Now, no, but no, 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 no. Let's keep the focus on who? Me. Exactly. For the purpose exactly. of our conversation, yes. Excuse okay. me? For yes. the purpose of our conversation, we're going to say, I'm the one that has to change. Exactly. Okay, but here's, here's my question. When are white people enabling the sick, alcoholic, racist system to continue? I'm going to say this to you. Can we as a country begin to recover from racism? And here's my answer. What would be your answer? You ask me that, and then I'll give you my answer. Well, my answer would be one person at a time. Okay, good. And to that, I would say, yes, we can if we begin to apply Alcoholics Anonymous principles to the disease of racism. <laughs> you know, I'm, looking, I'm looking at you, Lisa. I'm not, I'm, can you see? I'm looking at you. I'm looking at the look on your face. You said, I know. Ah, well, you see, I, I'm deep in thought here. I'm really trying to figure this out. All right, then let's talk about it from, from an Al-Anon viewpoint, still using the same principles. I do not want to enable the alcoholic anymore. I am no longer going to go to the liquor store and buy booze for the alcoholic to keep them happy. So how do I, as a white person, not enable the racist system? That's a good question. And you know what okay. I'm going to say to you? That's what? for you to figure out. Oh, for That's heaven's sake, I'm figuring it out for just us. In other words, I'm keeping the focus on just us. And what I would say to a Black person who finds fault with the system and, and that in terms of my education, I, I use this. One, I remind you, my brother, that our ancestors, W.E.B. Du Bois said the 20th century would be a century of the color line. Here we are in the 21st century. Yeah. Booker T. Washington says, cast your buckets where you are. This man was a slave. He walked miles to school. But when he died, he had his own private car, was in the um, train car and in conversation with the president of the United States. Started a university, Tuskegee. That's what he did. And then the other one was Marcus Garvey, who was an admirer of, of Booker T. Washington and, and came to meet Booker T. Washington. But Booker T. Washington died before he had an opportunity. But Marcus Garvey went on to found an organization called the NIA, Negro Improvement Association. Tens of thousands of Blacks. And what was his motto? Blame no God, blame no white man for conditions for which you are responsible. So basically, you bring it back to self. I need to exactly. look at myself and exactly. do what I find to be right between my higher power and myself. The God of my understanding. Yes, absolutely. Very good. Okay. I so, can. He can. No, listen. He can. 
That's your higher power. Right. So I've decided to hand this over to my higher power. The God of my understanding. Yeah, third step. And so I'm going to I'm going to let him understand that I am powerless over the disease of racism. However, what can I do? I can understand that I can focus on myself if I'm in the company of first of all, you have to deny your white privilege. You want to do something? Deny my I want to, I, I am now a member of one race of people, the human race. I am walk with my brother who is also another human being. Then you can begin to work together towards addressing some of the political, socioeconomic areas in which you find yourself with. Ooh, I think I just I had a light bulb moment. Mm. This really can't begin until I do the work on myself. Hello. Amen. Bam. Bam. That's it. <laughs> so it's really me looking at myself and saying, here is where I experienced white privilege. Here is where I am not special. It was handed to me. Here is where okay. I was favored over another. Okay. There you go. So that's the beginning of busting out of the denial. And then the next thing would be, if, if I'm going to look at it as from principles, is I need to look at my part. How have I participated in keeping this system afloat? Am I on the right mm-hmm. track? Yeah, you're moving. Okay. And then, oh, In other oh words, my you're gosh. telling, go ahead. Ooh, then we get to the 12th step. Then I need to carry the message to other people of whiteness in this country. Other, other racist individuals. Okay, yeah, I couldn't bring myself to say it. <laughs> ah, see, when you, that's yeah. it. When you bring yourself to say it, there you yeah. go. Okay, it's so hard. let me say, then, then my Excellent. old... My ultimate spiritual awakening is I am going to carry the message of the disease of racism that I suffered, that I perpetrated on, benefited from. I'm going to carry that message to other white racists in this country to let them know they can also recover too. From my experience, strength and hope. From my experience, strength and hope you're carrying that story, educating. I feel so much better now, thank you, because you know this has been my dilemma. Ah. And a lot of the white people I know who are working to become anti-racist and pro-black are all like, what can we do, what can we do? And so the message there is work on ourselves and then we carry the message. Do exactly what you're doing. Exactly. Doing exactly what you're doing. But also, I want to say something else, too. Okay. You got to tell them we have to stop calling ourselves white. <laughs> we can say white so-called. White so-called. So-called, so-called white. white. Because it is, it is a term that has been uh, introduced in order to maintain privilege. So in order to do that, and if I really want to be an anti-racist, I have to deny my anti-racism. I have to deny my white privilege. Now, that doesn't mean you go sell your house (laughs) and give it over to somebody. What it means is when you have the opportunity and you've educated people, 
we are, remember, we are so-called white because it is our privilege that came into existence and this country became a constitutional democracy built on a okay. lie. All right, now I'm, I'm gonna go slightly off track with something. This is one of the sort of uh, right-wing thoughts that, or little mottos that you hear. The problem is we're calling it racism. If we don't call it racism and if we don't say white and black, then it doesn't exist. Your thoughts on that? Now, I don't mean, I don't know, what, what, what do you mean by that? I don't, I don't understand that. Like, like the whole problem is talking about racism is making it worse. Saying I'm white and I have white privilege and saying you're black makes, and I, this is not the way that I feel, but I'm just saying this is a, a movement out there. Like let's don't delineate. It's okay, denying reality. Okay, so. That's, that's when denying you, reality. So when you say my so-called whiteness, explain how that is different than denying it. And I, I'm not challenging you. I'm asking for clarification. No, no, it's okay. No, no, it's understandable. First of all, there's only one human race. God right. made man in his own image and likeness. In his own image and likeness, he made them, male and female. We are human beings. And we did not decide the idea of whiteness, the idea of white and black would, did not come into the mind of the colonists prior to the signing of the constitution. They were English or he was Christian or he was Arab or he was Muslim or he was um, Hebrew or you came from the land that you geographically emerged from. Like I said before, right. if you go to Europe, you're an American. They don't look on you as a white man or white woman. When I go to Europe, they look on me as, well, they'll probably say now African-American, but I come from America. They don't say to me, a black man. Well, now it's discrimination in terms of all of that. But I'm saying to you is, what you as a white person has to do is begin to educate fellow so-called white folks. And I say so-called because historically you have no history. Where did the white race come from? Where? I can tell you where the black race came from, from the deep bowels of, of, of Africa. But we know it, we, in Africa it's rich. When soil is rich, full of richness, it's deep and dark. What I'm saying to you is that the system, man was made to be co-creators with God. Now, I'm, I'm getting past that. But what I'm getting at is there was only one race. That's what you can say if you begin to move in those circles, there's only one race, the human race. Right, but I have, I have to say now, I have heard that excuse used from evangelical Christians to say, I love everybody, I treat everybody the same. There's only one race, the human race. And that to me is steeped in a lot of denial. So, how do we keep from jumping ahead? We're not there yet. Well, when you say there's only one race, and he's right, evangelicals, right, there's the human race. He's right, he's right. But there are groups of people who have set themselves aside from the rest of humanity. You're the only race, look at it. So-called white folks are the only group of individuals that made themselves special. Yep. With their privilege. 
You have no power over that. The change begins with you. Right. And the change begins with you saying that looking in the mirror, I'm not a white person. I am a human being. Okay, that's fair enough. Let it begin, let it begin with me. I am powerless over other people, places, and things, and thoughts. I can only deal with me. And at this point, I am a human being. I no longer claim white privilege. Although I may move in those kinds of directions and atmosphere, but I am a human being. And when I go in the presence of other people who look like me, I make it known that I am a human being. I have given up my white oh, privilege and status. Oh, I gotcha. I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you now. I have had an awakening. I am made in the image and likeness of the God who created me. It's not for me to go out and tell other white people we're all members <laughs> of the human race. It's right. up to me to say, I am no longer claiming that. I benefited from it. I no longer claim that. And I am a human being and I identify with other human beings in their struggle. It's a disease. Right. I did not cause. I cannot cure. I cannot control, and neither can they. I'm powerless, but doesn't it help to acknowledge it? Of course. Okay. Of course. Okay. What did you just say? What, what, no, what it needs, what you need to acknowledge is the fact that you're powerless. So you might have to begin every morning. You look up and says, I'm powerless over the disease of racism. I didn't cause it, can't cure it, can't control it, neither can the other person. And say, good morning, human being. How are you? You are a human being. I am a human being. And I must join other human beings. And then I must take this and do the 12 steps. What's the 12? You got the 12 steps handy? We admitted we were powerless over racism, that our lives had become unmanageable. Came to, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. We were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, made a list of all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all, made the recommends to such person whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others, continued to take it personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others affected by racism and to practice these 12 principles in all our affairs. Beautiful. I love these 12 steps. I mean, what a great outline. So 
everybody that's been asking me, what can I do? What can I do? I can say, this is what we can do. Here's how exactly. we Well, and I was also thinking for my black friends who have been victimized by racism and affected negatively by racism, they can also use these same 12 steps to work through the powerlessness over the disease of racism. Oh, you can refer them to my site. Yes. And I do want to say, so you run a recovery group based on the 12 steps for people who have been affected by racism. The victims of racism. Yeah, just us. Just Not just them. Just us. And not his story. Just us, not just them. (laughs) See, it's important for people to have an understanding of how did this system start? How did this privilege, you have to have a history and an understanding, pretty much how I've shared it with you. Once you have a commonality of understanding how it came to be. I tell you what, Deacon Radcliffe, I have had, woohoo, a lot of (laughs) aha moments talking to you. Well, thank you. You are a fountain of knowledge, information, and dare I say, wisdom. Thank you. Deacon Kenneth Radcliffe, you are fabulous. And for people to get more information and to order a copy of the book, The Disease of Racism, Applying Alcoholics Anonymous Principles, please go to theisaiaproject.name. And uh, Deacon Radcliffe's information is on there. You can shoot him an email and you can order a copy of the book. And the only site that you will get an autographed copy. Don't go to Amazon. You will not get an autographed copy. You'll only get one from my site. I think that that is a great, I'm so happy to have my proudly autographed copy. Thank you again, Deacon Radcliffe, for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Once again, Deacon Kenneth Radcliffe has been our guest today. He's the author of the book, The Disease of Racism, Applying the Principles of Alcoholics Anonymous to the Disease of Racism. For your signed copy from Deacon Radcliffe, go to the isaiahproject.name. And if you'd like to suggest a speaker or you have questions you'd like to pose to us, you'd like answered, please feel free to send us an email. The address is almaamiracist at gmail.com. To hear other podcasts and to learn all about Alma, please go to our website, almaamiracist.com. This is Lisa Smith Henderson. Thanks for joining me today.